I've been away from you a long time. I never thought I'd miss you so. Somehow I feel your love was real. Near you, I long to be. The birds are singing, it is long time. The banjo strumming soft and low. Hello, and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I'll be uh, this will be part four of my overall review and look at uh, Sinclair Lewis's wonderful novel, Main Street. Um, so this is the story of Carol Kennicott, who after marrying Will Kennicott, uh, well, she wasn't Carol Kennicott when she got married, but, uh, but until she got married, but yeah, whatever. Uh, I forget her Vanian name. Um, but after she marries him, she goes to this, his town of Gophers Prairie where he's a doctor and she uh, kind of goes there with the ambitions of reforming this little frontier town into uh, what's well, already fairly developed, but it, it's kind of overdeveloped in a way. It's like past the frontier phase and it's just kind of entered the banalities of American capitalism. She has hopes of maybe reforming it, bringing some big city ethics or big city uh style to uh the town and then she just increased you know day by day she finds out just how uh banal the whole town is how there's really not much there and the people are all kind of boring and gossipy and and think in the short term don't really have too much ambition um and she meanwhile she gets increasingly disillusioned with her marriage and she gets, you know, she just ends up being pretty, pretty miserable by the midpoint of the novel. So in this episode, we're going to go through chapters, I guess, 22 to 29, just to get us to the climax of the, of the book. Then we'll have one more episode finishing up. Um, but actually, this episode starts at a good place, chapter 22, which kind of is the thesis of the book is laid out here. Um, now, overall, my feelings on this are... Lewis doesn't, I mean, he's got this kind of criticism of America at large, just into small towns. Like later on in the book, this will be in the next episode, she goes to Washington and she finds the same situation there. So it's not that, it's not just Gopher's Prayer. It's not just this little um, small town. It's it's kind of America as a whole is, is here. And that's why I kept bringing up Tocqueville when I've been talking about this book, because Tocqueville talked about this kind of descending to the mean of culture, right? That you, you don't really have great achievement anymore. You just sort of get in a democracy anyways, so you get everyone sort of just uh, catering to the common values. Um, and that's almost inevitable in a democracy is, is his view. Um, aristocratic societies can have that because they they have class distinctions worked into their culture but in a democracy where everyone's supposed to be the same if you veer away from that mean you're you're kind of a risk right that's that's one reason i think radicals and countercultural people have always been sort of deemed dangerous in america right things we take for granted now like like civil rights or workers rights at the time were seen as radical um, things underpinning the foundation of America. And it wasn't until those values became somewhat mainstream that, that, that it changed, but it just became kind of the new mean, right? Um, anyways, chapter 22 though. Well, anyways, my, or I forgot to kind of finish my thought here. That's the problem um, in America 
And Carol has her problems. Main, uh, Main Street has its problems. Gophers Prairie has its problems. Kennecott has its problems. They're all sort of um, stuck in a rut, I suppose. And, and you'd hope in a novel like this you'd have some sort of solution. And it doesn't. It's more of the statement of the problem. And, and I don't know if, if Sinclair Lewis ever really gets around to solving this problem. Um, but maybe... Now, I don't even think it's later works, the ones I read anyways. I haven't read all of them. But anyways, let's let's look at a bit of what is said here. If I could find it. Really, it seems to be the thesis of the book. Yeah, here. Doubtless all small towns in all countries and all ages, Carol admitted, have a tendency to be not only dull but mean, bitter, infested with curiosity. In France or Tibet, quite as much as in Wyoming or Indiana, these timidities are inherent in isolation. But a village in a country which is taking pains to become altogether standardized and pure, which aspires to succeed Victorian England as the chief mediocrity in the world, is no longer merely provincial, no longer downy and restful in its leaf-shadowed ignorance. It is a force seeking to dominate the earth, to drain the hills, the sea of color, to set Dante at boosting Grofer's Prairie, and to dress the high gods in classy clo college clothes. It's KKK, by the way. <laughs> he, he writes the, those words. Classy with a K, college with a K, clothes with a K. Um, so this is kind of going back to what he says in the very first page of the book, is like Main Street being the pinnacle of civilization. And that pinnacle is, is, is kind of aimless. It has nowhere to go. Um, and I think, in a way, when you see so much of our own world in Gophers Prairie today, the same kind of gossipiness, the same... Uh, provinciality, the same like lack of vision in many people um, and in communities and then and then the system right it's like uh, what is it David Graeber said that once he wrote a paper or a book about bureaucracy and he's like the reason we don't have good stuff anymore is kind of capitalist standardization and bureaucracy just sort of makes everything sort of shitty and it takes away the ambition to do things great things but this um this chapter is the thesis, and it's contextualized in a debate or a discussion between Carol, who is more of the one who wants to see big changes in Gophers Prairie and is really unhappy, and Vita, who recently married. She's Carol's friend, but she's, she claims to be a reformer, but she's more of a baby step kind of reformer. Uh, but she's more, essentially content in Main Street, but she wants to make a few changes. And these two people are set across from each other, and... And they end up having a little bit of a fight over over that. So it's a good contrast between Carol and Vita, who are two very, very important characters. Maybe Vita's next to uh, Will as an important kind of counterbalance to Carol's uh, dominance in the book. Um, so next chapter, in chapter 23, it's mostly about the war. And here's where we really see the ugliness of Gopher's Prairie come out in various ways. We see the young men joining the army. They, so very quickly, Gophers Prairie goes from being uninterested in the war, indifferent to the conflict, to once America joins the war, they're like, let's all go to war. And if you don't, you're a pro-German. And if you don't, you know, go to the Red Cross and make bandages or whatever, you must be a pro-German. And if you don't support everything about Main Street, that's the that's where it kind of goes. This, this conversation goes. Is if you don't support everything about Main Street, if you question at all the world we have, you are a German sympathizer. Um, and uh, a lot of the town goes to the army. Um, and that's pretty much the, 
this book goes a, almost up to the date it was written, 1920. But it's, it's you know, we're, we're in that age. We're in 1917 right now. Um, and Kennecott wants to join the army, but he's talked out of it because he's kind of a middle-aged doctor and the other doctors who would stay behind would be old. So they wanted a more youngish doctor still in town. So he agrees to stay. But like Vita's husband goes. I mean, other people go. And we also see in this chapter violence against Germans in Gopher's Prairie, something, uh, there's of course a lar large German population, but even more insidious than that is like the, the, the group think about the war, right? The, the, the fact that people who question anything of American society can get labeled pro-German is something I think we still see um, remnants of today in the propaganda for war that is still very, very strong. Um, but we get violence against the Germans. Carol ends up serving at the Red Cross a little bit because she really doesn't have an option. Just it's kind of for show. She's not really that gung ho into the war effort. She seems on some level to question it, but it's never articulated very clearly that she's like an anti-war person. But she listens to like the socialist critique of the war, and you can see Sinclair Lewis feet, you know, fitting into the story. Not much. It's very subtle, but things like the, you know, the peace movement. And the voices of people who are opposed to the war, and they're they're just kind of disregarded by the town as pro-Germans. But Carol listens to them, and Carol does have that um, attention to them. Is this because she just hates everything Gopher's Prairie is about, and she wants to embrace that, or you know she doesn't really go fully ideological with it? She's just willing to listen to the other voices. I get. Um, now, during this, she meets this guy, Bren, Brensham, I think his name is, and he shows up a little bit later in the novel, very briefly, after Carol goes to Washington. But he's uh, kind of another in a string of possible lovers for Carol, and, you know, she never really takes, she doesn't, I don't, she, yeah, she doesn't take a lover across the whole novel. Her husband does, though, and we'll get to that in a little bit, too. But she has her chances. She's, she's like, often described here as like the hottest person in Gopher's Prairie, the hottest woman anyways. And Will's not, you know, you know, he's not bad looking either. He seems to get attention from, from women as well. He's fairly high up in society. He's rich. He, he gets a lot of his money from real estate and stuff, which is something else we'll come back to in this episode and the next one. So, um, but this guy, Brenchsam, he's a car maker and he's, kind of a horrible person <laughs> in many ways he's kind of odious he lectures carol on politics talks down to her a lot he's not a very very nice person but he has the hots for her and she knows it right because because women can pick up on that pretty quick and she knows it but he's just a straight materialist so she she doesn't really like him but she sort of on some level could see herself i think with him if it wasn't for will she's not going to be someone who cheats She's kind of a, at least accepting that mainstream American idea of monogamy pretty strongly. But she realizes there's something there. We're going to see her more deeper affair later as well. Uh, that comes a little bit later. But this is one of a string of, of people. Well, who was the other one we saw? I forget his name. Um, yeah, I have it written down here somewhere, I'm sure. Guy Pollock, he was Pollock. He was the other one that she probably could have maybe wooed a little bit if she, if she had wanted to but anyways that's that um now 
One thing, though, that this Brenshawn person kind of convinces Carol of is that he kind of brings a little bit of class and style and, and a little bit of a high-class life, and she experiences it. And then in the next chapter, we see her looking at her husband differently. She kind of, like, gives him a little bit of a slant eye talking about, you know, why do you kind of dress so vulgarly? We have the money. Why don't we kind of upgrade our lives a little bit? Why are you st you're still kind of a small-town person? And it starts to bother her a little bit. And then we kind of see Carol's kind of falling into her own materialistic trap. That's a criticism of America throughout this is its materialism. But Carol's also quite materialistic in some ways. And we see that here too. She just doesn't think he's very classy in his manners. Um, and then they have this poker game where like a bunch of the townspeople are there. And it's a pretty vulgar affair. Um, at least from Carol's eye. Um, and they end up having a fight over this about manners. And... We start to see their marriage, their marriage get worse and worse over the course of a few chapters here. Um, they eventually even get separate bedrooms here, and she thinks that's really weird and and something maybe people will pay attention to. And then she hears about other people who have separate bedrooms, and she's like, okay, maybe we can do this. And so they do end up getting separate rooms, uh, which for Sinclair Lewis here is kind of a sign of the breakdown of their marriage. Um, and, you know, other things that kind of drive her towards conventionality in this chapter is like the fact that she loses a, another maid. She's gone through a few and now she must clean. She's got a kid now, Hugh. So her life's kind of, she's very becoming just a housewife and whatever ambitions she had to be more than that are kind of dashed. Um, they go on trips sometimes, and here's another chapter where they go on these kind of road trips to neighboring towns, and she goes to one with Will, and she finds out it's just like Gopher's Prairie, and that basically Gopher's Prairie is every town in America. We're going to see that again later, too, when they go to California and Mexico, and even there, it's like just go, the ghost of Gopher's Prairie is everywhere that she, she sees, and it's pretty demoralizing for her. Um, so in the next episode or the next, uh, chapter, I mean, uh, chapter 25, uh, we see Kennecott kind of, it's, it's internal monologue. This is actually, this is all Kenneth's or, uh, Kennecott's uh, point of view, this chapter, uh, Will's point of view. And I think it's maybe the only chapter, one of the few chapters exclusively from his POV. Um, and he spends much of this chapter complaining about Carol and this is eventually going to explode into a, a verbal agreement, disagreement between the two where he basically says, grow up. This is the world we live in. Stop complaining about everything and, and, and kind of play along with it. He's trying to gaslight her into kind of giving up all of her dreams for what her life could be. Um, but here we get the internal complaints about Carol. Let me f uh, find them. Um, yeah, it's all quoted. It's like a, it's like a, mon a monologue in a play almost. Uh, Carrie thinks she's such a whale. Carrie's like his pet name for her. That's, I don't think she ever likes it. I mean, whenever we got Carol's point of view, it's always Carol. Never thinks of herself as Carrie. Anyways, Carrie thinks she's such a whale at analyzing folks, giving the town a once-over, telling us where we got off. Why? She simply turned up her toes and croak if she found out how much she doesn't know about about the high old times a wise guy could have in this bird in the QT. If I wasn't as faithful to his wife, but I am, 
at that. No matter what fault. She's got no, there's nobody here. No, no. Nor in Minneapolis either. End quote. So she's kind of saying she's hoping for something that doesn't exist really anywhere in America. And he, he's sort of right about that. But nevertheless, he is uh, kind of done with Carol's complaining about Gopher's Prairie. Now, he calls himself faithful here. And the other point of this chapter is the re revelation, quite a subtle. It, it's more explicit later on in the story, but that he's having an affair. Is this when the affair starts? It's, it's again, it's very, very subtle, um, but with, um, um, what's her name? Maud, another Gopher's Prairie resident, one of his patients. Um, Maud Dyer is, is the woman. And she comes, and there's a lot of, of subtle tension between the two, but it's, it's pretty clear there's something else going on. This being a chapter from Will's point of view, you maybe want it to be more explicit, but it's, it's not. And, and I think that's nicely done because it's sort of constructing his own narrative of himself and how you know, he sees himself as a faithful, long-suffering husband with this overbearing, complaining uh, wife all the time. Um, but really, this is about the breakdown of, of, the, of the marriage and new romantic interests that both of them eventually have. Um, and that's kind of where the rest of this section gets us to, is with this guy, Eric, uh, or Elizabeth, as, she, as he's called by some of the residents. But first, there's kind of a tragic moment. And uh, as we saw before, one of the people that Carol's kind of into in town is this guy, Miles Bjornstrom. And we saw how he, there was a little bit of maybe attraction between them and, and certainly she has an interest in him but he he wants like a working class girl and that's who he ends up marrying this woman named b and they have a kid and their kid plays with hugh they're both about the same age and they sometimes visit and so she's visiting them and um and you know they they have their conversations but anyways um b and olaf olaf is the the kid's name um miles's child's name and and B's the wife and they both get typhoid at this point and they die and carol actually is nursing them it's kind of interesting because you think it's during the war so women would have been serving as nurses in france and things and doing this kind of caring for the sick and the and the dying and the injured and she does that here and she's being criticized for not being in pro-war enough for not being christian enough for not being faithful enough to the town but she's the one who kind of cares for these two people as they're dying and she she does that um so i think there is that generosity and that 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 good heart in carol um and that's maybe an escape maybe that's the answer to this is just being better to each other and being you know and and actually thinking about how to create a better society i don't know if that's sinclair lewis's solution to this problem could be but um but they anyways they die both of them die both uh b and olaf die bjornstrom is left alone and he just leaves town and he's he says i'm done with this town and he goes off into the you know he goes off to canada i think but carol's the one who helped them when they lay ill and i think that's not insignificant to her her character um so uh Chapter 27 and 28 sort of go together. Chapter 27 is just a few pages. There's not much going on. I think there's a lot there about uh, the relationship between Carol and uh, 
and um, and Will and how both their marriage is sort of falling apart. But it's a, it's just a few pages. But um, chapter twenty eight is where it gets more interesting because uh, she's at another one of these meetings of this woman's club that's called the Jolly Seventeen. It's, it's a very obnoxious social group for women, and Maud's there and Carol's there and and Maud's of course having this affair with with will i'm not sure how deep they are into it at this point but eventually carol's going to leave and so i think it's obviously that relationship gets deeper and you know the town gossips so things have to be on the qt but um it's going on um even if we can't pinpoint the date it actually starts um but they there's some like maybe there's a little bit of like tension there between the two but really the what's introduced in this this chapter is this guy named uh Eric um, and he's a young man younger than Carol I believe um, and they call him Elizabeth the women there call him Elizabeth because he's kind of feminine and and he you know a little a little girly I guess in the way he presents and he's the tailor's apprentice and they don't respect him they don't see him as really manly plus there's been already a lot talked about about young men not going to the war and being sort of looked down upon in Gopher's Prairie and that is part of the context of I think Eric's character as well is that he's not going to war. He's not doing, and that, but that's what interests Carol in him, is he's not a conformist, and so she wants to sort of defend him. But by this point, she's been shut down so often in these meetings, and speaking up at these meetings has cost her so much in her relationships and her friendships and things like that that she just stays quiet most of the time. It's actually kind of sad where we see she comes in the beginning of the novel. She's so gung ho about doing something to go for spray, but at this point she's just beaten, it seems. In many ways, she's just beaten, and the only thing she can do is, is walk away. Kind of like Nora in a doll's house, almost. Um, we also are introduced here to Fern Mullins, the new teacher who's coming in. She's going to be an important character in the next episode as well. Um, and this kind of inspires Carol. She thinks, well, maybe we have a chance here to restore the drama club which was by this point a few years before they had that play and it didn't really work out but she's like maybe this person has some talent maybe this somewhat educated woman can bring some life to some of her more now more much more modest goals about reforming gopher's prairie um but, but we'll see we'll see not too much hope uh, i don't think carol's has that much hope yet but um and and anyways kennecott eventually uh meets fern mullins and this guy, Eric, Eric Valborg is his name. And he's not too, he's already got, at some level you can tell he doesn't like Eric. And just the same way the whole town doesn't seem to like Eric. And I think that ultimately it's because he, they can tell right away he's a nonconformist. He's not going to fit into this town. Um, but, uh, but anyway, she's trying to start the, the play stuff again. But other stuff will happen first. And yeah. Are we, are we almost done? Yeah, I think we're almost through this 100 pages. This is going quick. Um, but that's okay. I think um, the next episode will probably be a little bit longer because I think there's a little bit more sum, summing up we need to do in the end. But chapter 29 is all about Carol and Eric, and they start to meet. And it's not an affair. It doesn't ever go that way, although Eric you know, wants more. Carol is much more restrained. She's not going to give in to these urges, but she really sees in Eric a couple things. She sees some intellectual companionship. She sees someone who's not a conformist, 
in the way that almost everyone else, pretty much everywhere else in Gopher's Prairie is. And the one person who was not a conformist is is gone. Like Miles Bornstrom had left. And you have um, this Fern Mullins, who's also a little more of a free thinker. But we'll see what happens to her, too. But but basically, Miles Bornstrom is exiled after his family dies and he just leaves to go to a different place and he, he we, there was hints before that he wanted to leave too so yeah, it's basically when his family died he got to move away and i think that's something maybe in carol's mind it's like it's the only way i can escape this is if my family dies and i'm a single again if, if i'm a widow um but she does see an eric intellectual companionship she sees him as an, an outsider there is some other types of attraction there are certainly from eric's gaze on carol as one of sexual desire um but carol also has a motherly because he's a little bit younger kind of a motherly attitude towards him she sees a chance to educate him her own kid is he was a little young and he's not the most interesting character um but carol wants to maybe educate him a little bit and and bring him up into the world and and so they start to hang out a lot and they start to meet a lot and what is that going to do in a place like gopher's prairie well of course it's going to lead to to uh gossiping and and scandal and things like that but that's the that's the price carol ends up paying for her her friendship with with eric um, so i guess that's it i guess i didn't have that much to say about this section but still 25 minutes isn't too bad um when it's just me talking uh, in the next episode, we'll finish up Main Street finally. Um, and then um, after that, we'll move on to have a three-episode series, I guess three episodes, on Babbitt. So um, I'm, having a lot, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with uh, Sinclair Lewis here. Um, this book has been um, a real joy to read. Um, so anyways, that's going to be it for now. Um, I will have more to say about this book uh, in a couple days when I um, finish up my thoughts about it. But uh, let me know what you think about any of these issues. Uh, is America still like Main Street? I guess that's the main question in my mind now. It has, is this really the curse of, of American capitalism and American democracy? Is there a way out? Is there a solution? That's another thing I've been thinking a lot about. Is there a way out? Is it just caring for the sick? Is it just being good? Uh, you know. But some of these people aren't bad. They're just in this rut and that's it's just like the culture creates the people right the environment the geography the, the the you know it's not people aren't that free to choose who they are ultimately and and carol's also kind of doomed to be who she is in this place and everyone's sort of stuck maybe it's just a trap and maybe that's all sinclair lewis can really explore but uh whatever it is it's something that's something i'm thinking about and and maybe there's a way out Maybe there is. We'll see. Uh, not in this book, though. We'll see. Maybe Babbitt has some answers, although I don't think so. Um, so uh, if you have your own thoughts about this, you can send me a tweet at EvanLampy1. And you can send me an email, 100pagescast at gmail.com. You just leave a comment here. Leave me a review on iTunes. Whatever moves you, I would appreciate your support. So uh, that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, I will see you next time. Twenty, twenty, twenty.